Good evening and welcome to this broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. It is March the 29th, 2020 on this Sunday night as we always broadcast at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. We want to thank you for joining our panel tonight, which of course is me, uh, yours truly, Scotty T. Reed. We got Tag uh, Riding Shotgun along with Maxwell Melvin. Tonight we'll be discussing... Prison slavery amidst the global COVID-19 pandemic with the United States becoming the world's leader in confirmed cases of the deadly virus, which according to the most recent but incomplete data due to a lack of testing in the United States, showing COVID-19 is 35 times more deadly than the 2009 H1N1 flu that claimed over 12,000 lives in the United States over the course of one year. Of course, uh, we have a special guest panelist. Jay Renee joins us again. She is the co-founder of the Hip Hop Humanism, which began in April of 2017. They showcase independent and unsigned artists that have a positive message that is trying to help the people in their community instead of hurt them with the glorification of drugs, alcohol, and sex, which can lead some down the path to prison slavery. So once again, my name is Scotty Reed as I broadcast from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. Um, now, before we bring on our panelists, I just want to read an excerpt from an article about comparing the H1N1 influenza uh, virus um, that did not cause anywhere near the disruption that COVID-19 has. And that's for good reason. Now, um, this is an excerpt. Now, in the program description, I have linked to all everything that we'll be discussing tonight or posted the videos of the uh, audio that we'll be sharing with you. Um, but I've just been noticing even, you know, a couple of my family members have been, you know, looking at stuff on social media and saying, you know, they just hyping this up too much. And the H1N1 uh, killed 12,000 people in the United States and, and we didn't have to shut everything down and what have you. So, you know, I thought I would start off with this and, you know, that's well and fine for a person like me. Okay. I can choose to ignore, um, this epidemic or pandemic and just go out there and, and I guess go to public spaces and, and lick the seats of whatever, you know what I'm saying? If I want to risk it and, and, you know, play around with this thing. Um, but H1N1, according to this article, did infect as much as 24% of the world's population. And that's a lot of people. The overall fatality rate, however, was quite low at about 0.02% of estimated cases. Now that was five times lower then the average fatality rate for the seasonal flu that comes around, which has a 0.1% um, fatality rate. So a lot of people still die from just the regular old seasonal flu. But that's mainly because H1N1 had little effect on the demographic usually hit hardest by influenza, those 65 and older. Now, COVID-19 is near the beginning of its spread in the United States. And thus, we cannot be comparing it with H1N1's effect over a full year in 2009. Now, if the U.S. death toll from COVID-19 is only 
uh, 12,469 a year from now, that will likely be counted as a great success. Now, South Korea, which has done the best job of keeping up with the spread of the virus through testing, the fatality rate so far, now again, this is incomplete data, and we're going to talk about the United States and the rest of the world, um, because we have not been testing at the rate that South Korea has, but based off of South Korea's information, it says that the fatality rate so far is about 0.7%. Okay, now remember regular flu is 0.1% and the H1N1 was 0.02. But even that is 35 times worse. This current rate going just off the South Korea data. Again, they doing the best job of testing people, but it's 35 times worse. COVID-19 is 35 times worse than H1N1 in 2009 in 2010. Now, if you multiply 12,469 by 35, you will get 436, um, excuse me, 436,415 cases, which would amount to the biggest U.S. infectious disease death toll since the 1918 flu. Now, hospitalization rates are also many times higher for COVID-19, meaning that if it spread as widely as H1N1, it will overwhelm the U.S. healthcare system. Now, put that in the context of being in a prison and being in a jail. As we, you know, abolitionists, new abolitionists, and people who just care about other people continue to call for the release of many people as possible because COVID-19 is spreading. It's spreading in U.S. jails and prisons. Now, with that said, let me go ahead and and welcome in our panelists and um, just give them an opportunity to give an opening statement and say hello to the listeners. We're going to start with our guest panelist, uh, Jay Renee. Good evening to you. Hey, good evening to you. Thank you for having me back. Now, you, while we were uh, waiting to come on air, you were just mentioning about a couple of prisons that you had heard about where it was spreading. Would you like to share that information now? Uh, yes, most definitely. Um, I want to, before I forget, I want to thank you and I appreciate you for figuring out those numbers. I think um, a lot of times people don't take the time to really, you know, do the numbers. If you did, you will see that this is something that's very serious. Um, I think that a lot of people are, you know, looking at social media and and taking others' opinion more than, you know, looking up the facts. So I definitely appreciate you for um, looking that up and sharing that with us. Thank you. Um, the info- yes. The information that I found out um, not too long ago is an inmate has actually died from the virus in Louisiana Federal Prison. Um, his name is Patrick Jones, and he is the first of the COVID-19 related date, um, death excuse me, of an inmate in the federal prison system. Um, the, the numbers are changing, you know, so rapidly. The last time I checked, there are two confirmed prisons in Louisiana that um, have people that are infected, and there's also a prison in Philadelphia, um, excuse me, in Pennsylvania that also has some cases. So 
um, just looking at it and knowing what we know of it and, and the fact that they're making uh, people do social distancing, we know that it's spread this way. Um, just a few feet from someone, you can still spread it. And in a prison, people are on top of each other. So this is an environment where this definitely can thrive. Yes, I agree. Uh, I mean, I'm referring to them as the perfect death trap for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they don't have a choice. They are at the right. mercy of the authorities. And, and you know, we, we certainly can base it off of their past treatment, which we know has not been humane at all. And I'm, I'm just very concerned for these, for these individuals, uh, Jay Renee. Thank you for sharing right. that. They also don't have the, um, they don't have the same, um, the same abilities to have the sanitation process that we have. Um, they can't have hand sanitizer because it's alcohol in it. So, you know, it's, it's some things that they can be doing to help protect themselves while we work on getting them out, you know, or, you know, changing their situation that they don't have access to. And it's like, uh, nobody cares and a a lot of time i think people dehumanize prisoners and it makes them easy to ignore their problems one of the first things some people want to say is well they should have never went to prison they should have never went to jail and that's a way to dehumanize someone when you when you don't see them as a human or an equal it's easier not to care uh you know what's going on in their lives and i think that's something that people not just in america but um throughout the country is you know something a mistake that a lot of people make Yes, and and it's due, um, I feel, a big part to the programming, the media programming. Um, Now, Tag, Tag, you're there in New York City. Um, You definitely um, are plugged into what's going on around the city, and and especially, you know, with the Rikers situation and the tunes. But do you have any opening uh, remarks you would like to make? Peace and respect to everyone out there, and just shout to the inside abolitionists and, and the outside abolitionists and all those that are really, really going hard to make sure that heads get released from up out of this. Uh, rest in power to Patrick Jones, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, y'all, y'all said it, y'all spoke to it, and so just, uh, just looking to continue to, to work on this as best as can. I've been, you know, trying to catch up on some other work recently, and it just it becomes such a reminder of just how how much all of this entails every every hour, every minute, and second, as far as just the the constant uh, slew of information coming out, and how many different levels of struggle all of this entails. So, just again, shout out to everyone that that's been doing that work and continues to, uh, especially those that are. You know, under under the most uh, under the most harsh uh, conditions, as we're seeing, you know, with heads uh, perishing from from up under this. And I would just highlight uh, from what occurred to Patrick Jones that he he was inside for a 27 year sentence for what they what they refer to as possessing crack cocaine for sale within 1,000 feet of a junior college. So I, I just you know. We got to ask ourselves: is, is that really, is that really, should that be commensurate to a death sentence out here? No, it shouldn't. And I would say it shouldn't even warrant a prison system. I mean, a prison sentence. You know, 
Um, there, I was listening to an earlier program on Time for Awakening, and you know, I respect people's opinions. And there was a brother on there who had written a book who had been in prison himself. And again, you know, I don't mean any disrespect to him, um, but I just couldn't listen anymore because certainly there are individuals in the street that have a certain mentality or mindset that's going to lead them to prison slavery. You know, that's that's one of the uh, issues that Jay Renee, you know, through hip hop humanism focuses on, you know, this music, that's programming. That's what our brother Kwabana Rasuli up in the Chicago area with Clear the Airways focuses on these corporate radio stations with sponsorship from these, you know, Walmart, McDonald's, you name it. And, it, mm -hmm. and, you know, just a lot of people just play down the effect of that programming and not realizing it's programming people's minds. Now, with that said, though, there's a lot of people that's in prison, especially black people and, and um, you know, Hispanics, who are in a certain socioeconomic class and they the system capitalism forces them to commit crimes of survival you know the brother was talking about you know well they could have just got they didn't want to punch a nine to five regular job or they could have created a business you know malcolm x once said you know and, and again he has this point of view and i don't mean this in a derogatory way you know, but Malcolm X said, you know, don't look down on somebody because they may not know what you know, may not think how you think. You know, you don't know their background. You don't know what their education level is. You don't even know, you know, what, what their IQ is. Everybody ain't meant for college. Everybody just can't do everything that everybody else can do. Right. But we don't have a, a system where we have a job guarantee, which has been talked about doing this. Uh, political season. We don't have a federal jobs guarantee. We don't have a guarantee. What's another thing they brought up? A universal basic income. And poverty is real in the United States. You know, we got a, a, a almost a half a million people and it's probably more, um, but a half a million people estimated to be homeless. So I'm not going to judge what somebody else does to survive. You know, it's, it, when that dude sold that, when this uh, man who passed away in the federal prison, what's his name again? His name is, Jones. give me a moment, Patrick, Patrick Jones. Jones. When Patrick Jones sold that crack, he didn't shoot nobody. He didn't rape nobody. Okay. He didn't rob anybody. And, you know, right. people are grown and they can make... Uh, they should be able to be free. We talk about liberty and freedom in this country. Well, although I know crack is bad for me or any other type of methamphetamine, you know, crystal meth is right. is big and what have. But as an adult, that's my that's my decision. So we talk about mm -hmm. a woman's body in terms of abortion, you know, being between her and her doctor. Where if I want to put crack in my body, that should be between me and my drug counselor if I have one. So what I'm saying is, is that a lot of things that have been um, legislated at crimes really shouldn't be. And so I don't pass judgment wow. on, on people being in there and saying this mindset led them to be in there. A lot of people are, are struggling in this country and I'm going to survive by whatever means is necessary, you know, and, and then we make it so hard for people, especially if they get that mark. 
and, and what have you. So, you know, I just, I didn't mean, and I didn't plan to go on that rant, um, but like Jay Renee was saying, we dehumanize people and we say, oh, they shouldn't mm-hmm. have done this or they shouldn't have done that. Well, you don't know what you would have done if you was in their exact situation or walking right. in their shoes, okay? So, um, exactly. Um, Brother Maxwell, we got Brother Maxwell uh, Melvin yes. with the Lifer Group. Greetings to you, brother. Did you have any open remarks? No, the only open remarks I have, uh, Dr. Scotty, is about, you know, with this uh, coronavirus, you know, going around, is that I wish that, you know, people would take it more serious. As you had mentioned earlier, a lot of people are taking this very lightly. Something that's very serious, and people aren't taking it serious until it hits home. That's when they begin to take it seriously. But I would just like to give thanks to all those people out there, everybody from farmers to everybody, to medical to everybody that's getting the food out in the warehouses and everything that's getting this food and still making it happen so that we can have food and things on our table. You know? And uh, I'm going to show you how serious they're not taking it. Last night in New Jersey, uh, Scotty, uh, they had a house party of 50 people in a DJ in it that they had to bust down the doors and stuff and run down on them. A house party of 50 people last night in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So that should tell you how seriously people are taking this and how serious most of them are not. You know, they're putting all these different theories on it and all this. It has nothing to do with nothing, the theories or whatever. The fact is that it's here. And unless it can be contained, unless it can be contained, I see no, uh, as far as what I see right now, but Sky, I don't see no ending to this no time soon. They putting all these predictions and give us about a month. I don't see that happening. I just don't see it happening because the people are not listening. They're not listening, not paying attention, they're not taking it serious. So I'm just saying, you know, anybody that's out there or anything, you know, to try to really get it through your family members' heads and stuff, you know? And, uh, you know, the count's going up in New Jersey very rapidly. Uh, Brother Scotty, we were number one in the state for a minute in the United States. Wow. New Jersey was. And uh, wow. we were number one. And uh, now I think we, we're number, back to number two, if I'm not mistaken. But I'm saying this thing is serious. And one of the reasons that New Jersey rate is high, we right there on the borderline, New York, New Jersey. And uh, right. in the United States, New Jersey is one of the most diverse communities in the United States, one of the most, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, you got the North Airport right there, a lot of travels and different things. And then breaking down into different counties and things down here, one of the most highest counties is one of your richest counties down here in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is in Camden County. That's a rich town, Cherry Hill. And they have, like, one of the most highest cases down here. Mm. You know? Wow. Um, you know, yeah. So it goes to show it's not um, a particular class's problem. Anyone can be affected if they're not taking the procedures they need to to yeah, protect exactly. themselves. Exactly, you know. So, you know, I think it's important also, Brother Scotty, Brother Scotty, you know, myself serving 33 years in prison at a time like this, brother, I can imagine what them brothers are going through inside that penitentiary right now, man. I can't even really mm-hmm. describe it, man. You know, of what they're going through in there. We don't even know how they're really being treated in there, Brother Scotty, because they we don't know if they're being fed in their cells and any foods are just police stressed out, working doubles and all that, and they just slamming their trays in their cells or what precautions. We don't know the exact precautions that they're taking in there. You know? True. Right. We really don't know what's going on inside the prison. I mean, people get word out, but 
these prison varies in what they do and how they're treated right. under these circumstances. Right. Yeah. Right. Bye-bye. Yeah. The United States has the world's largest prison population. Exactly. And as we discussed on a, a recent broadcast, every state and every even every county within the state are not all, yeah. you know, doing the same thing. They're not following the same protocols. And, and it's just too many, you know, different uh, decisions coming down. And, and I yeah. just think they're doing a very poor uh, job and, in, in preventing. Exactly. And I would just like to say this, Brother Scotty, though, New, New Jersey was one of the first states and the ACLU of New Jersey was the first one to implement these court order releases. The, the uh, one of the um, the Supreme Court judges put out that order to contain this as far as releasing all these prisoners. Mm-hmm. New Jersey was the leader in doing that. Mm-hmm. And as I said, this governor here has been uh, very progressive as far as the people. You understand? That's good. And, to hear. and prisoners, not just the people, the prisoners. He's been doing a lot, and like they was one of the first ones. The other states has followed behind New Jersey in releasing these prisoners. That's but good. it was it was initiated by the ACLU of New Jersey, and that's, that's, that's how that that's how that was uh, taking place. You know, and, uh, uh, they're doing. Well, I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish. They're doing also where they've encouraged the parole officers. They have less people come in. They're not doing a lot of home visits or any of that right now to try to contain this and, and to prevent the spread of that. So in the criminal justice system right now, it's not just as far as it pertains to that part. It probation and everything. Probation officers are not coming by reporting. They're not having people come into the offices or any of that. So they've taken a major step in that area of criminal justice, dealing with issues of criminal justice with this virus. And, you know, that's the last thing they want to do in the world is to release some prisoners. You know, five and six hundred prisoners, a thousand prisoners, you know, that's the least thing they want to do. So that should show people how serious this thing is. Yes, it is. And real quick, and we're going to pivot um, just for a second, and we're going to talk to Jay Renee. She put out a video about police brutality and, you know, the procedures that they use um, versus um, you know, in the military, both of us being veterans, both of us served in war zones, although, you know, at different times. Uh, real quick, we do have a message from the chat room. And by the way, if, if you would like to connect with us on the program, you can give us a call at 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. Hit the star key twice to unmute yourself. I will see you and come to you at the appropriate time, but please watch your background noise. You can also chat with us by coming to uberconference.com slash forward slash Black Talk Radio Network. And uh, we have Sister Cece in the chat who says that people are not taking this serious. I do food delivery and a young lady took the order from me. And by the time I got to the window, she had her head lying down on the register as if she was exhausted and had snot coming from her nose. It was a blessing that they were out of sandwiches. Wow. You know, I was just uh, um, at a store today. Wow. And I noticed that uh, the sister, I went to the gas station, local gas station, not even a mile from my house, but the sister had on gloves and a mask. And I was like, you go ahead, sister, you know, but do what you got to do to protect yourself, you know. Um, Now, I wanted to say this real quick before we pivot to Jay Renee, and then we'll get into what's in the news. You know, Maxwell mentioned 
people don't take stuff serious until it affects them personally, right? Well, I'm not one of those perfect people, but it has touched my family. So I have a, a aunt who's in Mount in a nursing home in Mount Vernon, New York, which is in uh, West, I think it's Westchester County, New York. So yeah. I had gotten a call from her daughter who knows that I do Black Talk Radio Network and she wanted me, you know, to call not just to check on her mother, but also to do a report on it. So in Westchester, this nursing home, which has 250 beds in it, is the uh, epicenter of that small town in Mount Vernon with 20-something cases. Um, two people have died, two residents, elderly people have died. Um, they've cordoned off that section of the building, so they say, and quarantined uh, those, and they're making the residents stay in their rooms, and they can't come out to any uh, common areas, and as well as they are not allowing any visitors. Now, my question when I called, um, my question to them was, did you test all of the residents? So, you know, and then you had a couple of firefighters who had visited there and they came tested positive for it. Then you, they're shorthanded because staff as well um, has tested positive for it. So, you know, that's just, I'm sorry, we're getting a lot of background noise off of, uh, off of a line. Uh, give me just a second. Find out. Yeah, please, please watch your background noise. Um so you know, just to just to end the story, it's testing me. Is it, my my aunt is okay as far as we know? They were talking about setting up FaceTime so that family members can you know at least see that they're okay. But then you know, I can't tell if somebody okay or whatnot from no FaceTime, and they are not answering uh, whether or not they tested all of the residents. So you know, I'm just mm -hmm. going to be prayerful. Uh, for everyone that is quarantined in that nursing home there in New York. So take it very serious. And I talked to um, Brother Elliot, who holds Time for Awakening, and he said he knows someone personally who was in the ICU right now um, because of yeah. it. And a couple of guests from the New Orleans area, a guest that he knows says that people that he knows have died from it or and or are very sick and in the hospital as well and positive with COVID-19. So, you know, it, chances are that, you know, you, why it may not affect you personally, it may affect somebody you know, you know? So um, right. please take it very, very serious. Now let's, let's transition here. Um, Jay, Renee, you put out a video um, that uh, Max has shared with me and, you know, also in New Jersey, since we're talking about police, 700 police officers in New, in the state of New Jersey have tested positive for COVID-19. And I hope they have wow. quarantined them and they're not out spreading it, you know. Um, I hope so, too. Yeah, but, you know, your your video was more along the lines of we need accountability, you know, for for how they treat the public. You know, that in the military we have we have more stringent guidelines in how we interact mm -hmm. with the civilian population than the police in the United States has in interacting. Right. And, and if you would like to expand upon that, please do so. Oh yeah, most definitely. So um one of the things that I started paying attention to 
is um, the police force, but in a in a deeper way. Instead of just looking at what they're doing and complaining about it, I said, okay, let me do a little bit more research. And and being in the military and being in the war zone, even when we weren't in the war zone, um, we were taught how to behave when it comes to you know dealing with people, dealing with different situations, you know, being armed and things like that. So as I started to investigate the police force more, I realized that the first thing, well, the first thing I realized is they're really not trained to do the job that we're asking them to do. They have, excuse me, they have guidelines that are open for a lot of interpretation, and there's no consequences when these guidelines aren't followed. So we kind of have people out here doing their own thing when the job should be taken a little bit more serious than that. So in the video, one of the things I highlight is just some of the procedures that worked in the military. In the military, one of the big things um, they always talked about is training how you fight. And this is the time before you're even in that situation is the time that you should think, what should we do if this situation arises? And I noticed in a lot of uh, things that I've seen happen in the news with the police, those things are missing. Um, they, they're they pretty much given some lackadaisical rules and just sent out there. And when they don't follow the rules, there's no repercussions. It's like they they kind of like, oh, well, you know, he's a good guy. You know, let's not ruin his career, even though he might have caused some innocent people to get killed, you know, or to get hurt and stuff like that. So, you know, I just think that the police, they need to do some escalation of force policies that are more current, that are more helpful, and I think that they should base it off of the way the military has theirs. I believe it will be successful. And I also believe that when an incident happens within the police force that the military should investigate it and not the police or any entity like that, the, you know, the feds or none of that, I think the military should do the investigation. Um, you know, one of the reasons why there's not uniform, um, I say, procedures and consequences, mostly I want to speak to consequences. You know, you might see a cop get prosecuted and something. It just depends on that prosecutor or it depends on right. that state attorney. And, you know, mo more times than not, you know, they just get paid vacation and what have you. And a mm -hmm. lot of that is due to police unions, which I don't believe that they should be able um, to unionize, you know. Now, I'm big on unions, especially when you're talking about pay and health care and things of that nature. But when it comes to, you know, police, a lot of times their unions are making it so that they're not held accountable, and, and that's a huge problem. Um, Definitely. A very big problem. A problem, I think, that... <clears throat> As a, as American people. Uh-oh. Did we lose Jay Renee? Let me pull uh, the board up and check. Okay. Uh, no, we still have you. You still there? You're still on the board. I'm still here, my brother. Yeah, I, I, yeah. you and Tag is there. Uh, Jay Renee, you're still on the board, but we're not able to hear you. Take the mute off, Jamie Nay. This, um, if it's muted, it's on her phone. Um, um, maybe uh, um, you can call back, call, hang up, and call back in. Um, again. Hello. 
Yes, we hear you now. Yeah. Okay, if you could, okay. you could finish up. Yeah, I didn't know. I'm not sure the last thing you heard me say, I was gone. <laughs> yeah. You were talking about, we were talking about the unions. Yeah, the you know, I think that, you know, rules are made to change when we see faults in it. And the union should not be making it so police officers get to commit crimes and get away with it. If it's doing that, there's something wrong with it. And if America is who they say they are, it should be something that could be changed. Well, that's why I call them slave catchers. They may not like that name, but as long as uh, prison slavery exists in this country, that's um, what they are. That's what I'm gonna call them. So we're gonna take a station, a quick station identification break, and then we're gonna pivot to the news section um, of our broadcast. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. We broadcast at nine o'clock p.m. Eastern. Every Sunday night, if we're unable to broadcast live, then we'll try to put out a podcast at least. Now, the Black Talk Radio Network is supported by the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project, and so the platform is 100% donor supported. Make a donation today if you're able. We understand, you know, a lot of people out of work right now, and so, you know, you got to take care of your home first, but if you can, uh, please donate to the Black Talk Media Project so we can keep Black Talk Radio alive. We'll be right back on the other side. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. Black Talk Radio, since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. The Legal Aid Society says COVID-19 is spreading rapidly throughout Rikers Island and other jails. The organization says the rate of infection is seven times higher than in New York City and 87 times higher than the United States infection rate. The organization claims the entire local jail population will be infected within a matter of weeks if COVID-19 continues spreading at this pace. Mayor Bill de Blasio says the city is working to identify which inmates are eligible for release due to health conditions or because their charges were minor. He says he believes anyone with five underlying conditions who's over 70 years old should not be held in jail during the coronavirus outbreak. Katie Johnston for CBSNewYork.com. Now, Mayor de Blasio is doing a terrible job based off of some reports that I'm hearing, you know, not only from uh, heads on the ground like TAG and, and you know, the uh, people, the activists he worked with, but here's an article that Maxwell has sent me, and I'm just going to share the highlights. 21 inmates and 17 employees test positive for COVID-19 on Rikers Island. Now, this was almost a week ago. So if based off of what we just heard, um, it's probably a whole lot more. So, But I'm just going to share the article, um, the highlights. At least 38 inmates and employees have tested positive for COVID-19 on Rikers Island in New York City. Officials confirmed over the weekend de Blasio said 23 inmates over 50 years old and at low risk to reoffend will be released on Sunday. Additional inmates I for release were still awaiting state approval, de Blasio said. 
21 inmates on Riker Islands tested positive for novel coronavirus. Uh, give me just a second. I'm getting feedback off a of, off a of line. Um, let me see if that fixes it. And I'll, I'll unmute everybody when we come back. Uh, let me see. Uh, 21 inmates on Riker Island tested positive for novel coronavirus, a dramatic increase from the first case reported by de Blasio on Wednesday. The Board of Correction, which provides independent oversight of the city jail, sent a letter to New York officials over the weekend with two principal recommendations to immediately remove from jail all people at high risk of dying and rapidly decrease the jail population now according to one official 12 of the uh, employees work for the department of correction and the other five work under correctional health services and that's the 17 employees mentioned that uh tested positive she says 58 people are being monitored in contagious disease and quarantine units and likely pass through hundreds of housing areas and common areas over recent weeks and have been in close contact with many other people in custody and staff so they could have infected uh, an untold number. Now on Wednesday Mayor de Blasio said at a press conference that the staff had identified uh, 40 people for release. A figure the board said is too low. I want to go to Tag since he's there on the ground. Uh, Tag what are your thoughts? What are you seeing in terms of de Blasio? Because he does. We talking about people not taking it serious. De Blasio is not taking it serious, according to this board. And part of part of what speaks to that very directly is is what Sister uh, J. Renee was just speaking to around this question of these so-called unions and the fact that they essentially have dictated how de Blasio acts and reacts to these issues for mad long. And, you know, it's been reported on here on New Abolitionist Radio for a minute as far as uh, de Blasio essentially just being bullied by these slaver unions into capitulating. And, and, and so he continues to do that. And under these circumstances, it's just, it's just that much more insidious because uh, what I'm seeing, part of what I'm seeing of late, I mean, he's been he's been dragging his feet this whole time, uh, especially with regard to heads on the inside. So as was mentioned in the report that you read, those kinds of numbers are are are, are pitiful, and and they're they're nowhere close to the kinds of numbers of releases that need to be occurring uh, right now, and and need to have need to have been occurred. So um, thankfully, there have been some, you know, there have there have been some uh, uh, pluses. There have been some victories uh, as far as you know, uh, Cuomo announcing some some 1,100 uh, uh, heads to be released uh, who who had so-called violated parole. Uh, you know, there, like there is movement occurring uh, based on uh, this this very consistent push. Uh, starting from heads on the inside and, and, and on the way out and, and their loved ones and everyone else who, who cares about this. But, uh, but it's really just been a, a trickle compared to, to the, the flood of releases that really needs to occur. And I would just point toward just as one example of, of, of these slavers manipulating de Blasio into, into what is a, a deadly hesitation, which has been occurring now 
Prison DTR community called uh, Freed Rikers Inmates Are Given Cell Phones, Cab Fare, and Hotel Rooms. And this is by Larry Salona, Julia Marsh, and Ben Fuerherd. And basically what you see in that article, this is from a couple of days ago, is you see slavers and, and those that support them, uh, slavers and former slavers basically being quoted complaining that heads being released from Rikers are getting any kind of accommodations whatsoever. They're literally saying things like, we're surprised the inmates weren't given stretch limos. Uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio hasn't even given us masks to wear, let alone made sure we received masks. Well, have they given uh, enslaved individuals masks, clean, clean masks? Have they provided, you know, the essentials to heads on the inside who don't have control over their own uh, movements, uh, don't have control over the kinds of basic necessities that are needed to, to, to repel this, this virus and the outbreak? So, so, yeah, I mean, as you pointed toward, it, it, it's far from enough, and really it is uh, it, it's contemptible to, to allow these characters to, to just bully you having the amount of, of influence that de Blasio has, and that goes for Cuomo as well, and all of these other officials that that actually, you know, uh, are, have access to the levers and the mechanisms to to get people out from under this and, and get them out of harm's way, they're, and they're not doing it because they're intimidated. Um, yeah, you're right, Tag. Um the inhumane people that work at, at slavers. And, you know, I know, and I've come across them from time to time that, you know, there are some people who do go into that profession because they want to help. And there's been a number of individuals who see how corrupt it is and they've attempted to come forward. But, you know, like you was just mentioning the quotes from the articles, and then they have their little hangouts and websites that they go and post comments to, and they just sound like a, a, a bunch of slavers. You know, I can't use no better term, you know, than a slaver, a low-down, dirty dog, you know. And, and so, I'm, I, oh, man, it, it's just disgusting. And then, you know, I want to go to Max and, and Jay Renee and get their comments and also, we're at the 42-minute mark, and if we need to go over our hour, we definitely can. There's no programming on after us, so, you know, we, we don't want to rush things, and we want to get all this information out. But by them taking – first, let me say this. We keep hearing about – or not really, not recently, but Iran. Iran's supposed to be this t- terrible government and, and tyrannical government that's oppressing its people – well, one thing I haven't heard even discussed in the United States is the use of the pardon. Iran pardoned 10,000 prisoners and let them go home. Pardon, not put them under house arrest, not put them up in a hotel, but issue pardons. Like, you know, Donald Trump been issuing pardons left and right for some of his buddies and what have you. And governors have that power, you know, to pardon people uh, during this extraordinary time and by them taking so long 
you know, people want to talk about public safety, like these people are going to come out and, and just start robbing and killing and raping and what have you. Well, you're putting the public safety in danger by taking so long when you know the infection rate is high in the prison and jail. By the time you do let them out, then where do they go? They go, what, to their family members' homes? Or they go somewhere else and pass that infection alone? So, Max, well, I mean, what do you think about that? That's one of my things right there, Brother Scotty. The reason that they were probably put in those hotels to keep them isolated away from their families and provided those masks and stuff in the interest of public safety so that they wouldn't take it home to their family members and stuff. So they didn't explain the reason. They just made it like, hey, they're giving all these privileges. They're being let out. They put them in hotels. They're giving them this. They're giving them that. But what is the reason they're giving those? They're trying to let them go into self-isolation and self-quarantine by being in those hotels and different things. See, they didn't explain that side of it, you know? The, 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 the post or whatever, those people are making comments, they're trying to sensationalize it, you know? You know, that's all they're trying to do, you know? And, um, you know, but New York, again, as I said, is taking its time. What they need to do is to do what Jersey, New Jersey did. As a leader, they need a Supreme Court justice or someone to just go in and do an order. New Jersey is basically giving them the template for everybody to follow pursuit. Instead of, you don't have to necessarily go through the mayor of New York. and go through Supreme Court judges in New York to just do an order and follow pursuit as New Jersey did. And they can follow the same procedure. You know, but like you said, they're just taking their time. They're prolonging it. And by prolonging it, what they're doing is extending it and just giving it a chance to spread to more and more staff and more prisoners, you know, and it's it's just, it's it's a shame, man. And these are one at a time, like, they've never been in a situation like this, never been in a situation that presented itself such as this. And in in, in, in insinuating circumstances, you have to be able to make these unusual decisions that you normally wouldn't make, but something of this nature requires instant and immediate, you know, resolve. Yeah. Um, any law firms out there, you know, um, not to pick on them, but I'm gonna pick on them anyway. You know, I haven't heard <laughs> I haven't heard about them filing any kind of lawsuits on behalf of prisoners or, you know, like you got the the uh, NAACP legal defense fund. What 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 do they do? You know, um, but then if there's any law firms out there if I was the director of a law firm uh, that advocates for prisoners or, or people in general, I'd be filing a constitutional lawsuit because like mm-hmm. Maxwell was saying, D, this is unprecedented. Well, I ain't going to say unprecedented, but it's unprecedented for anybody alive today. Okay, Uh, we have never been through something like this. And as I was reading the difference between the H1N1 and COVID-19 being based off of South Korea's data being 35 times more deadly, you know, then like, you know, Jay Renee said that man was sentenced to death in Louisiana for selling drugs. He basically got a death sentence. So this is cruel and unusual punishment because the circumstances are unusual. What what do you think, Jay Renee? Yeah, I think that is, I feel like everybody is just standing around looking like no one wants to accept that this is what it is. It's like, oh, no, it can't be, but it is. The numbers are proving that the 
what they say, numbers don't lie. That was in a song. You know, men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. The numbers are showing that what's going on. It's showing how it's going to get worse and worse. But it's like everybody's just standing around waiting for the ball to drop. I don't understand it, and I definitely can't explain it. But I know that they need to get on board and get it done so we can, you know, I, I put this, I made a video today, or yesterday, excuse me, and I'm saying, you know, if it spreads in the prison system, it's not okay. It's, it, if it spreads there, it's, it, it says what's going to happen to the rest of the world. It being there is not a safe place, you know. They're a part of the population. It's going to affect the population as a whole. So people need to see these prisoners as humans, as there's people's brothers, sisters, grandparents. You know, these are actually humans. Yes. You know, we're only as strong as our as our weakest link. And, and, and if the prisoners are sick, America's not okay. Now, yeah, because you cannot be your one crime or whatever crime you committed does not and cannot define who you are as a person. We're still human. Right. It does not that one crime does not define who I am or who I am to become. Right. Right. You know, also, think about it like this. They don't even care about the guards, it seems. Now, like we were reading in a previous article about some of the staff being sick and testing positive. Now, remember when I was talking about um, the nursing home that my auntie is in being short-staffed? Now, as more guards get sick, they can't do what? They can't come to work, right? And then they probably taking it home to their families, you know, unknowingly if they asymptomatic and, and, and haven't been tested. But if you have a shortage of guards, then what? What is it going to look like then? Right. Yeah. But, Scotty, I have, a nep- I, have, I have a couple of nephews who's correction officers and also firefighters. Mm-hmm. My nephew has been told when he comes to work to make sure that he's packed because he may be there for 14 days. Mm. Once he comes into work, when he returns back to work, he was told to bring extra clothing and everything. He may be there for the next 14 days. Mm. But then once you come in, the next group might not be able to get in and they're not letting them out here in Jersey. You know? Yeah. So I don't know. For some reason, New Jersey, as far as prisoners, are taking some extra measure steps. That's good. You know, and for the, for the safety, for some of the safety of the correction officers and the prisoners, they have taken some steps. Maybe they could take more, but I'm just saying the rest of some of the other states and different people should follow what they're doing right now. Sound like follow. they're being very proactive. Yes, they're very Everybody yes. standing around. Yeah. Yeah. I want to play this, no. this video from MSNBC. And I, I'm sorry, what is the brother name again in Louisiana that died? Patrick. Patrick. So they may be talking about Patrick. I don't recall them mentioning the name, but here is a report on the first uh, federal inmate test test positive for coronavirus. Okay, so this is in NYC. So this is not not uh, Patrick, but this was six days ago. So let's roll this uh, clip. It's just three minutes. Just last night, the Federal Bureau of Prisons announced that the first federal inmate has tested positive for COVID-19. According to the agency, the inmate remains in isolation at the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn, and other inmates he was housed with are being quarantined as well. With me now is Patrice Cullors. She's the founder and chair of Reform LA Jails and co-founder of Black Lives Matter. And MSNBC correspondent Tremaine Lee is also the host of NBC's Into America podcast. Thank you both so much for 
for being with us. Patrice, what's the core concern for prisoners at a time when you have a pandemic sweeping through this country? Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I think, you know, the core concern for people who are incarcerated right now across the country is uh, the lack of access to um, adequate health care that happened before COVID-19 broke out. And now that we're in this pandemic, uh, the current lack of health care that will inevitably create the pandemic inside of prisons. And so that is a central issue that we should all be deeply concerned about. Patrice, you spoke with a woman whose brother is serving a 28-year sentence at a prison in Delano, California. What is her primary concern? Um, that her brother is going to be impacted, that he, that he is not going to be able to um, get home uh, in the ways that he should, um, that he may, in fact, um, die inside that prison. Um, unfortunately, prisons are opaque. There's not a lot of transparency. And so um, while people are um, not allowed to visit their loved ones, we don't really know what's going on inside. Tremaine, the Wall Street Journal had some reporting on this. I want to read it to you. There have been no reported major outbreaks yet, but experts fear the coronavirus could overwhelm correctional facilities, particularly because there are more inmates than ever in the older demographic that it is at greater risk. Is our prison system equipped to handle an outbreak? Certainly not. When you think about uh, our prison population, 2.2 million people. The United States is the leading jailer across the entire world. And with prisoners spread across the country in kind of a vast network of facilities, many like Rikers Island, which people have been complaining about for a very long time and have pushed the city to, to erect plans to actually shut it down. We, we say that there has been no major outbreak, but the number in New York City went from one to now we have dozens, including uh, people who are jailed as well as as uh, correctional officers. And so once a, any kind of disease or infection gets into these spaces with an already aging population, folks who are already coming from marginalized communities, what we're looking at, quite frankly, could be a nightmare. Hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. Thanks for watching. So that, that was from six days ago. And as we know, they were talking about Rikers, but we've gave, given you earlier in the broadcast more updated uh, information. Now, I want to... Uh, this is the last article that we will share, and then Tag will give us um, the latest uh, about the phone zaps that NY IWOC, uh, International uh, Workers of, of, I'm sorry, of Incarcerated Workers, um, they're doing phone zaps in New York City. And But Bill Barr, who is the attorney, U.S. Attorney General, uh, put out a prisoner release plan. And we're hearing from the Marshall Project, um, which does a lot of great work concerning uh, prisoners' rights and exposing what's going on in the system. So this is from the Marshall uh, Project, and I'm linked to all of the different articles that we're sharing, but I'm just going to read you the highlights. Now, they're saying Bill Barr's COVID-19 prisoner release plan could favor white people. Now, I just want to reiterate um, that we care about all prisoners as new abolitionists. We don't care about their skin color, their religion, uh, their gender. We No, no, we want to end prison slavery for all. But be that as it may, um, we know that racism has impacted uh, who is a prison slave. And some people are, are more impacted than others. And so the Marshall Project is pointing out racism um, in Bill Barr's COVID-19 prisoner release plan. 
Only 7% of black men would be deemed low risk enough to get out using the federal prison system's risk assessment tool, according to an analysis. There are at-risk inmates who are nonviolent and pose a minimum likelihood of recidivism and who might be safer serving their sentences in home confinement. And I would say the majority of prisoners, and this is based off of me for since 2012, paying close attention and gathering a lot of data most prisoners are not in there for violent crimes. Most prisoners are in there, I would say 60 to 70% are in there for non-violent so-called drug crimes again. Um, so, you know, again, also they're talking about what? Home confinement. How about some doggone pardons? Okay. No, you just want to be able, oh, once it's over, if they survive at home, bring them right back into the prison system because mm-hmm. of the money. This is prison slavery. Slavery was never abolished. Money, like people been talking about, all Donald Trump been speaking about, and, and, and a lot of others been speaking about the impact COVID-19 is having on the economy, the impact it's having on the stock market. Well, you know, the decisions, in my informed opinion, being made, and concerning the release of prisoners has to do with money as well, okay? And that's why they just don't want to pardon these people. Barr wrote in a two-page memo to the Bureau of Prisons, but on closer inspection, his plan may exclude many vulnerable prisoners from being released and may also create racial disparities in who gets out of prison. That's because it instructs the prison system to uh, prioritize for release only those prisoners who receive the minimum possible score on a risk assessment algorithm called pattern. So they're not even making human decisions. They're letting... Uh, 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 artificial intelligence, an uh, algorithm called pattern to decide who gets out. This computerized rating system, which has never been used before, deems white-collar offenders who are disproportionately white generally safe to be let out of prison, but it does not deem safe to release uh, I don't like the word that they're using, so I'm just going to say those who may have been addicted to drugs with a history of prior arrest, who are disproportionately black, due in part to the biased police practices of the war on drugs. Only 7% of black men in federal prisons would be considered low risk enough to get out using pattern. Uh, compared with 30% of white men, according to an internal assessment conducted by the Justice Department last year. So their own internal assessment is telling you this is going to be racist. In addition, Barr's memo blocks anyone convicted of a sex offense or violent crime from being released to home confinement. Justice Department policy also bars all non-citizens convicted of immigration-related offenses from serving out their time at home. Now, it isn't mentioned. I don't know if they mentioned it later in the article. I just grabbed the highlights, and I can't remember. But I do recall reading articles that this is also spreading in the private immigration detention facilities as well. It was already bad enough, and it's just going to get worse. And he's saying, oh, we're not going to let you out. Even though, you know, uh, immigration infraction is a civil offense, not a criminal offense, but he going to make them, you know, stay in there, okay? 
So let's go around to the panel. We're going to start with Jay Renee. What What are your thoughts on 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 this um, computerized system being used uh, to to say who can get out, and then the racist element uh, because of hundreds of years of policing, racist policing. You know, I'm not surprised that that it's it's racist, and it's sad that I can say that that I'm I'm not surprised. Uh, a lot of the people that are in there for drugs were the whole reason they're in there for so long was was set up on racism we all know we can look it up and research it that those that have certain drug charges get more time and those are the drugs that were predominantly found in certain areas of people that looked a certain way none of that was an accident so i'm not surprised that they're the way that they're coming up with is racist at all um I don't even I don't even know what to say, brother. For real, I mean I see it, and I don't know what to say. I still have to to process it, you know. I understand. I'm still trying to process it. Yeah, I understand, okay. Maxwell. Uh, brother Scotty, let me say this now. The way they, however they did that, whatever. Uh, I think they're going off of, and it's racist still. They going off based off of, uh, you know, more than likely a lot of the white federal prisoners will be released or whatever because they're looking at the fact that the majority of the blacks that are in there, they're looking at them as that they are violent offenders, committed these gruesome acts on people, very physical violence, right? But at the same time, those very Caucasian males or whoever that are incarcerated in there have committed a much and far greater crime because some of the crimes that they have committed, which is considered white-collar crimes, are crimes that have caused families to commit suicide in these uh, uh, scams and stock market schemes and scams and stuff has had a much further and bigger impact on the community and people out there because their mm-hmm. crimes did not only affect one person, it affected many. You understand? And these scams and, you know, they mostly white-collar crimes are mostly scams where they defrauded people out of their money, life savings, mm-hmm. and different things of that nature, and much bigger crimes that's had an impact on many lives, not just the one. So automatically, they're just assuming that the majority of your blacks in there are in there for violence and for, you know, drugs. But the same white-collar crimes and stuff has had a much greater impact than some of those very in crimes that those blacks have committed. And that's my opinion on it. Now, it, let me say this before I toss it to tag, um, but I'm going to read this again. But it does not deem safe to, and this is their words, not mine, but it does yeah. not deem safe to release drug addicts with a history of prior arrest. So just because you had been arrested multiple times and you used drugs or your arrest was drug-related, you're a danger to society. Mm-hmm. Give me a It's drug. all about wording. You hear the words that they use, drug addict. Yes. You know what I mean? Those, when people hear that word, it's like, oh, a drug addict. You see someone trying to break in your house or, you know, snatch your purse from you on the street. Words are, They use certain words on purpose. Well, um a whole lot of the white community that's in the grips of an opioid epidemic, you know, they quote unquote drug addicts too, you know? Right, so, they don't call them drug addicts though. Yeah, they, oh yeah, they're, they're people with addiction. <laughs> they call them problems. everything but drug addicts. Mm-hmm. That's on purpose. 
Tag, what 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 are your thoughts? And and after you give us your thoughts on this story, Tag, if you can just tell us about the IWAC NYC phone zaps. Uh, absolutely. Uh, when it comes to this guy Barr, I mean, he it would be it would be tougher Bill Barr to be more sus, you know, just in general. And and it's you know been so long that that he's been operating this way. So, you know, as has been said, it, we really can't expect anything anything besides that from from somebody like this. But. It, it is extremely troubling, and as is the fact that it's been reported that Bill Barr has been, and 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 the, the their whole administration, the the so-called Justice Department that's currently in place, has has been literally asking and vying for the suspension of habeas corpus, and this this has come out, you know, uh, in uh, in reports from the Rolling Stone and and other other publications, you know, uh, within this last week or so. So, uh, the, you know, so for Bill Barr to be using algorithms that uh, skew in, in clearly racialized uh, and, and racist ways, you know, um, it doesn't surprise me for, for even a second. And I'm reminded of the, the fact that, you know, the U.S. government, and, you know, and all of these, uh, all of these slaving uh, bodies and institutions throughout the U.S., have been investing in this type of technology for the longest. And, you know, the, the, the levels of surveillance, um, I'm reminded of the, you know, the, the technology uh, that I believe it was called Faceception that, that um, was developed out of the 48, you know, um, uh, what, what is referred to as the State of Israel, where they were, they were literally claiming that they can predict uh, who is going to commit so-called crimes before they happen and uh surprise surprise you know um who is who is popping up behind that faceception technology you know mm-hmm. it was palestinian individuals the same heads that they're constantly criminalizing and surveilling you know uh in the the open air and, and barely even open air uh plantation that they have out there in in occupied palestine so mm-hmm. and and we know how coordinated the u.s government is with them and and how you know how many billions are going toward those projects every single year of of uh, you know of, of of the the tax funds that are that are directly uh payrolling the surveillance of racialized heads over there and here because of the constant flow of information and technology uh between between those two uh you know uh, heavily slaver uh, organizations so uh, so it's not it's not surprising in the least, and it, it seems to me that these technologies get developed in part so that they can racialize uh, and criminalize heads on a racial basis in ways that uh, are more deniable than some of the ways that they've done that in the past. Because if you put it behind some technology and algorithm, it you know you can claim that hey you know this is just what the numbers. Uh, out. Yeah, exactly. this is what the computer exactly. said. The computer can't be wrong. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. but it, but a computer is programmed and human beings 
write those programs. And it's, it's been articles written about how your biases, whether they be racial biases or other biases, you know, turns up in technology because of the programmer is racist. Okay. And, and real quick tag, before you go to IWOC, um, you mentioned Israel, number of U S police departments have sort of what you might call, um, um, uh, exchange program where you'll have Israeli police or Israeli military coming over here giving U.S. police departments training and then you even have U.S. police going over there to observe their tactics and, and how they're controlling the Palestinian population. And one last thing. Now again, I'm going to read this again. But it does not deem safe to release drug addicts with a history of prior arrests who are disproportionately black, due in part to the biased police practices of the war on drugs. And I just want to say, even though I do not believe the Democratic primary results because of the exit polling not matching up with the vote tally. So in what I'm saying in a word is I believe that the Democratic primary has been rigged just like it was rigged last year. I refuse to believe that all of these black folks that did vote and it's not because of them that Joe Biden won those states. More white people and other people voted for Joe Biden than black folks. You know, we don't make up the, the uh, a majority of the voting base in the primaries and what have you. But if you did vote for Joe Biden, you know what? He's the author of the war on drugs. He is the principal author of the, that's why they call it the Biden crime bills. And and then these black politicians like um, Clyburn down there in South Carolina, well, I've been known people like him were sellouts anyway. So it's not surprising to me that they ain't have a problem with backing a man uh, who helped create through uh, writing these laws uh, the largest prison population on the face of the planet uh, feel disproportionately with non-white people. Tag? Yes, and let me just quickly, since the question of pardons was raised, and it's extremely important, just to, to give some perspective, some more international perspective, we could compare... Uh, and this is also posted in BTR community, uh, Ethiopia. Ethiopia, there, there's reports from, for example, Journal du Cameroon, that Ethiopia has pardoned over 4,000 individuals behind the, this outbreak. Over 4,000 par- pardoned in Ethiopia, a fraction of the population of the U.S., uh, even smaller fraction of the enslaved population of the U.S., and how many confirmed cases of COVID-19 do they have in Ethiopia? 12 confirmed cases. And they pardoned over 4,000 individuals. So uh, it's, 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 it's pathetic when you compare it to, to some of these cities and states uh, here in the U.S. where they're doing the most enslaving. Uh, but um, just on this question of, of the phones app and... You know, ideally, uh, in, in the next week, they will be releasing far more heads, and, and, and perhaps there would be less need of, of all of these phones. That, uh, unfortunately, I doubt it just based on, on, you know, history and observation, but, you know, uh, maintain, uh, maintaining that, that positive stance. But uh, 
within this next week. Uh, ideally, we can we can uh, bring some more heads in to further discuss the phone test because they've been constant, you know, um, all over the U.S. Uh, to make sure that uh, those on the inside, their demands are being heard. You know, so we spoke to, for example, Sheila, who um, has has been uh, coordinating around issues in the tombs in New York. So that's been an ongoing phone zap in the tombs of New York City. Uh, has it been calling in to Rikers uh, as well, and 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 been you know really uh, focusing on on as many levels as possible as far as those who uh, maintain the the cages around our our family members and our comrades and our loved ones. So that's 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 the the cages themselves just calling in directly to these uh, to these prison plantations and, and jails. Uh, that's calling the, the public officials and their offices, flooding their lines, faxing them. You know, so that's been going on, uh, you know, for, for for weeks now, and it's been a sustained effort. And so, you know, just shout to, to everyone that's been involved in that and coordinating that and putting minutes in um, and participating on whatever level uh, they can. And so just to kind of broaden it, um, and, you know, I, as I, I believe you mentioned, there is a link on the program page which points toward one of the social media presences where some of these apps are outlined more specifically. But, um, you know, um, outside of New York, there was there was a very strong action. Uh, I wasn't there uh, present for that, but uh, have some comrades who were and who sent some great reports and video uh, in New Jersey. Uh, there was a social distancing demo uh, Thursday evening in Jersey, where heads were, heads were driving their cars through, making their presence known. Uh, so that was a very strong action to to see some uh, video of, and and just to see that you know there there's this kind of resistance, you know, uh, acclimating to this context of social distancing and and not being able to do the same types of things that that we're used to doing as far as actions uh, on the on the outside, and then. Uh, you know, there, there have been phone zaps to Florida, specifically the 8th Circuit Court in Florida. There have been phone zaps uh, out uh, in Minnesota uh, for, for some, you know, activity that's been going on uh, around the incarcerated population there. And uh, just to shout out some specific facilities in New York, uh, we mentioned the fact that in Rikers, you know, as we're striking in solidarity, uh, with, with heads in New Jersey and, and, and elsewhere. Um, and there's also been a lot of reports coming out of uh, Greenhaven, uh, and there's also been a lot of reports coming out of Shawangung. And those are both upstate facilities in New York where they're, you know, they've been facing um, you know, um, intense and, and, and intensified repression. So those are also spots where, where these phone apps have been focused. But again, you know, it's just been, it's been so many uh, and in such a sustained way that, you know, it's just a question of, of just looking out uh, for these, these spots where, where they're updating uh, on, on where the phone apps are focused and how you can get involved. And everyone that can, you know, uh, really encourage you to do so. Uh, IWAC NYC is, is, is one, uh, you know, of the, the many groups that, that are, are participating in this and, and IWAC uh, generally, which is a national organization. But um, as was mentioned before, there's also uh, a website called freedomallforpublichealth.org 
and they've been uh, posting a lot of updates. The, the group RAP uh, has been doing a lot of advocacy work around this and so many other organizations. So uh, I encourage you to just, however you can, participate in this. And those that have been doing so, uh, it would be great to, to connect with you in future broadcasts so that we can just continue to build the pressure to make sure that as many heads are being released as possible. Now, I will try, uh, as I the information is made available to me, to get it posted to our Facebook page, New Abolitionist Radio, and our Facebook group, which is Move to Abolish uh, 21st Century Slavery. So again, that's New Abolitionist Radio and Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery, the group, uh, both of those on, on Facebook. Tag, um, since you're already speaking, any final thoughts as we wrap up the broadcast? Yeah, just again, much appreciated to, to everyone who who has participated. I uh, really appreciate you, Jay Renee, for stepping through again and uh, and and all the abolitionists everywhere and uh, especially those on the inside uh, facing this up uh, most directly uh, and just also want to particularly shout out those freedom fighters on the inside uh, who you know have especially vocally uh, and especially actively been doing this work whether on the outside or the inside uh, has like Brother Julio Muntikim, heads like David Gilbert, uh, Leonard Peltier, uh, Sundiata Akoli, so many of them um, who, who uh, largely are elders and therefore are especially vulnerable under these conditions. So I uh, really just want to make sure we're, we're really keeping close eyes on them as we know they're targeted for repression uh, any day of the week, uh, much less <clears throat> you know under these kinds of circumstances where, as has been pointed out, uh, things can get even more opaque with all the confusion going on around this outbreak. But um, just some of those in particular I want to shout out as having done uh, write-ups as, as so many of the Inside Freedom Fighters do. Uh, uh, they published some great work uh, in, in recent days and weeks that um, had should check out if they get a chance. You know, just, just stay up on, on what our Inside uh freedom fighters and political prisoners are doing because they stay extremely active. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Tag. And definitely you stay safe, man, as you're in one of the epicenters. And I say that uh, one of New York City isn't the only epicenter. Um, and I've read articles about uh, Detroit could get hit hard and be worse than New York City. But, man, just take, just follow the precautions that you know you're supposed to take, man, because um, we need you around. All right? Thank you. Um, Jay Renee, uh, thanks again for stepping through. You have any final thoughts you would like to leave with our audience? Yes, I want to um, thank y'all for having me. I definitely appreciate everything that y'all do. I want to encourage everyone out there doing their part to continue the good fight. If y'all want to connect with me, again, on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook under the J Renee. That's T-H-E-J-A-Y-R-E-N-E. Thank you. Thank you. And you remain safe safe as well. You know, you're here um, in North Carolina uh, with me and I've been you know I don't I don't know about where you at but my county government has been taking it serious it seems like uh, Governor Roy Cooper's taking it serious um, but you know um, we have to take it serious as individuals as I know you are 
um, keeping yourself and your family safe as well. All right. Uh, Brother Maxwell, any final thoughts you want to leave with the audience? Yes. Brother Scotty, I'm just going to leave, you know, with the words of, you know, everyone to continue to do what they do and, you know, listening up, staying safe, you know, looking out for that neighbor and looking out for our brothers and sisters. You know, I want to send a shout out to all those street soldiers, Die Jim Crow, women who never give up, the Cedo Uru, NOS, all these people out there on the front line, you know, who are looking out for those that are inside who can't represent themselves. <laughs> and another question, uh, another thing I just wanted to add, Brother Scotty, we can't just blame Biden alone. It was also the National Black Congress. Yes, sir. Who were one of the main factors in getting all those bills passed that Biden put up. Yes, sir. You know, you said we had a lot of sellouts out there, right? Yes, sir. And uh, we could not leave them out because they were one of the main factors in helping all those bills to be passed that Biden put in. And, you know, just as he may be going in office, we don't know who they're supporting or what. We need to look into it. But, again, you know, look forward to hearing from y'all. Everybody be safe out there and take this thing serious. And, uh you know, uh, thanks for coming on, Jay Renee. I'm sure we'll have you again because you're one of them street soldiers, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh-huh. And uh, absolutely. And uh, Brother Scotty, uh, thank Black Talk Radio, you know, being honest, you know, to be a co-host here and everything. And to all of us that are here, man, God bless, and may we continue to do what we do, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, my final um, thoughts will, again, be with the prisoners, Okay. Um, it's yeah. one thing if people out here in the street want to take, you know, play Russian roulette uh, with their lives and with the lives of their family members as well, um, you know. Uh, but these prisoners are some of the most vulnerable people out, out, you know, even as vulnerable as children, I would say, because they are not in total control of their movement. They are not making decisions for themselves. It's being made for them. And so we have on the outside have to be their strongest advocates. So like tag was talking about those phone zaps and emailing, and, and and just doing everything you can to let the authorities know, the people in charge know that we'll hold them accountable um, for these death traps of prisons uh, during this extraordinary period of this COVID-19 uh, pandemic. With that said, recognize the fact that the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery. It just uh, reset it. It moved it from the private ownership on a plantation to state and federal government ownership. But the individual can still buy stock in slavery today. Okay, that's where your private prisons come in. But not just the private prisons, but the public prisons. When you have all of these different people uh, get contracts to provide them with crappy health care, crappy food, and, and other things of that nature. So slavery's never been abolished. A lot of people still don't recognize that fact. And we hope that if you recognize that fact, that you'll become like us. And that's new abolitionists, uh, uh, new abolitionists in this 21st century of slavery. With that said, peace and blessings to all. Y'all stay safe out there. Peace.